This morning I'm going to bring the third part in a series of messages that I have felt the Lord putting on my heart in the, uh, on the subject of worship. This is a part of our transformational church um, endeavor that we had uh, laid some groundwork for last fall. And one of the uh, action uh, uh, points that we decided we wanted to look deeper into the Word of God about what it means to worship the Lord. Something I'm afraid that so many times we simply take for granted and show up for church and assume we're going through the motions and doing it. And yet it's interesting to, to hold what we oftentimes do up against what the Word of God truly says is worship. And so this morning the theme of the uh, message is God's people must allow God's Word. God's people must allow God's Word to guide them in truly worshiping the Lord in truth and in spirit. And I'll elaborate on that as we delve into the message this morning. A couple of questions that I ponder, and you may want to ponder as you go through the message with me this morning. Number one, am I truly worshiping God as His Holy Scripture prescribes? Is what you do on Sunday mornings at this hour truly according to what God's Word says ought to happen when we come before the Lord the God of the universe, the Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship Him. Is it as His Holy Scriptures prescribe? And then this question you may want to consider and ponder. Is the Lord pleased with and honored by the manner in which I worship Him? Yeah, worship is a serious thing, and I hope that through this series you will understand just how absolutely essential worship is to the life of the church and to the individual believer. You know, I watch very little so-called Christian television. That doesn't mean I'm out there watching secular television all the time. I just don't watch a lot of television. But I know there are some channels that are dedicated to so-called Christian broadcasting. And I'll be the first to admit to you, I enjoy good, solid, biblical preaching on television by some of the great uh, pulpiteers. I could name a few. I'm sure you have some of your favorites. But you know, once in a while when I'm, I'm, I fall upon one of those Christian stations, I'll see a, quote, worship service that causes me to stop and wonder. You know, what I see on the television makes me wonder, is this a church or is it a Hollywood set? I mean, the secular trappings that are designed to make the church more uh, acceptable and more relevant and contemporary, are they there really to move the heart of God? Or are they there to simply stir the emotions of the audience? And so I want you to just think about that. I'm sure you've seen those kinds of so-called worship services. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning as we examine the subject of worship, number one, is, is I want you to consider worship contaminated by the world. Worship that is contaminated by the world. Dr. John MacArthur, in his book on worship, which is an excellent uh, uh, piece, I've been reading it, it's one of my secondary resources of uh, research, he recalled several outrageous expressions of so-called worship, or rather, as he put it, abuses of worship. Such as the church in California that, that advertised that they were specializing in country music in their worship service. Country music and complete with line dancing, and, and even had their own band, naturally, they were called the Honky Tonk Angels. And they advertised it and said, y'all come. We're going to just have a good stomping, good time in worship today. 
And the preacher just bragged about how it just invigorated his church and drew people in. They had numbers that you couldn't imagine. Or the church that is an evangelical church, Dr. MacArthur mentioned, that was in the heart of the Bible Belt, that advertised in their promotion that they were having an authentic Barnum and Bailey Big top circus in their worship service, complete with clowns and acrobats and animals and popcorn. And just, uh, you all come. We're going to have a good time in worship today. Some of you are probably thinking, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing a high trapeze in here once in a while. From chandelier to chandelier. Hey, the same church. The same church in its endeavor to, to, to draw people in and to entertain the people even staged a full stage wrestling match featuring the pastoral staff who were trained by a professional wrestler. That's right. Trained by a professional wrestler how to throw each other out of the ring, how to pull hair, kick chins. And of course, being trained by a professional wrestler, they weren't really hurt. All designed to jazz up the worship, to give it a new spirit, to attract the large numbers of guests and entertain them as well as keeping the current congregation engaged. I realize those extreme expressions of abuses of worship, but there's a wide range, ladies and gentlemen, going on in the, in the, in the church houses across this nation today. And I tell you this, misguided churches, misguided churches fall prey to unbiblical secular trends in worship. We would be wise to remember that. The departure from authentic worship results in outlandish antics. Departure from authentic worship results in all kinds of outlandish antics. I read about worship services in churches where supposedly there's a move of the Spirit and people get happy and church members are, are shouting and running down and around in the church. They're barking like dogs, roaring like lions, clucking like chickens, jumping, doing cartwheels, and they call it worshiping the Lord because the Spirit's moving. When people, God's people, the church, take their eyes off of the original pattern for worship, we make ourselves very, very vulnerable for all kinds of unbiblical expressions of so-called worship that, number one, don't enhance the life of the church, and they certainly don't honor the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life to die for the, the, the church. So when the church departs from authentic worship, it results in outlandish antics. Also, pressure to conform to secular ways. It's not a new problem, ladies and gentlemen. Preachers of the day, pastors of the day, there's nothing unique about pastors and, 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 and church leaders being pressured to secularize the church. That's a problem that goes back. In fact, Dr. MacArthur was talking about Charles Spurgeon, that great Preacher of old that was under a lot of pressure from clergy of his day to, to make the church more contemporary with the Victorian ways of that day. Of course, he resisted and so should anyone who loves the Word of God. We live in a very sensory, 
stimulated, action-oriented, electronic culture obsessed with entertainment. And churches across this land are caving into the pressure to conform to these types of means to keep people entertained for the sake of worship. Listen, there are church people that are pressuring their leaders. Preacher, you got to jazz it up more. you got to make it more like the outside. You, it needs to be more entertaining. Why? Because there used to be an entertained Monday through Saturday. So naturally comes Sunday. Entertain us. Make worship more entertaining. Preference for the pragmatic usually results in trivializing the holy. We decide that we want to be so relevant and make things so pragmatic. Let me tell you something. You run the risk of making that trivial, which should be holy. A time before God Almighty, folks, is the most holy moment in in our life. When worship becomes entertaining, it's not engaging. I'll help you to understand that. But think about that. When worship becomes entertaining, it begins to cease to be engaging. And authentic worship is engaging. It's engaging the people of God in worshiping God. When we choose to go with entertainment... As opposed to engaging the people, we depart from the realm of heaven-sanctioned, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-led worship. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he said to those Christians, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. When we come into the sanctuary to worship the God who created the universe... The God who breathed breath into our lungs and causes our heart to beat. The God who sent His only Son into this world to die to pay the price for our sins. We shouldn't be so concerned with making the interior of the church house look like the rest of the world as opposed to looking up towards heaven and seeing God high and lifted up and exalted on His throne, holy and perfect and all-powerful, and making the church reflect. That scene of holiness. Now listen, when members are spectators, more than they are participants, they cease to be worshipers. They cease to be true worshipers of God. When they begin to take on the posture and the attitude of moviegoers and ball game goers, you know the crowd. When church members come into the sanctuary and they begin to look more like people sitting in a movie theater or a ball game, except ball games tend to be a little bit more exciting sometimes in church worship services, then they cease to be true worshipers. The goal of, when the goal of the worship leader is to entertain the people sitting in the pews and his quest is to always provide some emotional stirring moment. Stir the emotions up rather than engage in their minds. Then something's wrong. When worship leaders are more concerned because people are, quote, bored, something's wrong in the church house. True worship isn't boring, folks. 
When a believer comes into the presence of Almighty God and they are truly tuned into the Spirit of God and they are connected in the Word of God and they understand who God truly is and they understand the significance of the relationship that we have with the God of the universe through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, just to be in the presence of God. There's nothing born about that. When you have the opportunity to, to express what God means to you. What your salvation means to you. What the hope of heaven means to you. Listen, there's nothing boring about that. You give me a person who's connected with God, who's filled with the Spirit of God, who loves and treasures the Word of God. I'll show you a person who knows how to sing the hymns of faith, who knows how to pray, who knows how to give, who knows how to honor God. Do you remember when we went through the purpose-driven life in the segment on worship? Do you remember the thing that Rick Warren pointed out to us, the author of that study, he says, God, worship is, is for God. It's not for us. God planned us for His pleasure. Worship is for Him. Worship is not for you, though you receive the residual benefits of being in worship and expressing your love for the Lord. Worship is not about the, the congregant. Worship is about God. And worship is the ultimate expression of our deep, abiding, reverent love for God and who He is and our respect for Him. So, now that we've looked at worship contaminated, let's look at worship purified and vitalized by the Word. I want you to understand as I bring this message, the, the, the key ingredient to authentic worship is found in the all-sufficient, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. A psalm of David talking about the absolute perfect revelation of God. Do you understand that what you hold in your hand is your copy of the Word of God? Do you understand everything you need about truth is right there in your hands? Do you understand that you are holding in your hands the very divine revelation of God? This Word is complete you don't add to it. You don't take away from it everything that you need. It's all sufficient. It is sufficient to guide us in our personal daily lives with the Lord. It is sufficient to guide us in the practices of our church. And it's certainly absolutely sufficient to guide us in worshiping God. We don't need anything else to tell us how to worship God other than the infallible Word of God. Look in Psalm 19 with me as David is just raving about the beauty of the completeness of the Word of God. Look at verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony, he's using different synonyms to represent God's word, the scriptures. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is 
great reward. When it comes to worshiping God, we would do well to go back and to revive a principle that was given to us by the early church reformers, simply called sola scriptura, which simply means the scriptures alone. Sola scriptura, scriptures alone, nothing else, just the word of God. I quote from Dr. MacArthur when he says, While so many evangelicals seem to be turning in mass to worldly expertise in the areas of psychology and business and politics and public relations and entertainment, we must be pointed back to the Scriptures as the only source of infallible truth to guide the church in practice and in worship. You want to know how to really truly worship the God that we call our Father in heaven? Read the Word. Understand what the Word of God says to us. Be conscious of that. Authentic. I want to share with you some of the qualities of authentic worship as defined by the Word of God. True authentic worship, number one, makes preaching the Word, preaching the Word, its centerpiece. Music is good. Offerings are necessary. All the other things that go along. But let me tell you, the very centerpiece of worship, the very pillar, central, central pillar of the worship experience is the proclamation of the Word of God. That's the way the early church saw it. In Acts chapter 2, you recall when the church was being formed and birthed at the wheel out of that Pentecost experience. And Peter, under the Spirit, of, or, or indwelt by and empowered by the Spirit of God, was preaching so powerfully Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And thousands were coming into the faith. In fact, just before verse 42, in verse 41 in chapter 2 of Acts, it talks about there were 3,000 souls that were added. And, to the, and then as a response to those 3,000 souls, listen to what it says in verse 42. In chapter 2 of Acts. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Why were so many... Why was there such a deep reverence in that great massive congregation? Why was there such a sense of great power? Where, why were so many wonders being done in such a brand new church? I'll tell you why. It was coming as a result of the preaching of the Word of God. And not only that, the Apostle Paul stressed the importance of the Word of God in worship. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, in writing to his protege, Timothy, and encouraging him and admonishing him, I thought it was interesting that as Timothy is, is serving and pastoring and leading the church at Ephesus and, and, and trying to carry on the work that Paul has started there. In verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, in this letter that Paul wrote to Young Timothy, he said there in verse 13 of chapter 4, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You notice Paul didn't say to Timothy, Now Timothy, it's going to be important that you look around you and you notice how the Ephesians do life. 
And you, and you understand that your people, the, the Ephesians, come from a pagan culture and they like a certain style of music and they like a certain way of doing things. It's going to be important that you make your, your church relevant to that pagan culture around you. Oh no, Paul simply says you stay in the Word. You stay in the Word. You stay reading the Word. You stay teaching the Word, exhorting the Word and doctrine. And then if you go over to chapter into 2 Timothy... In chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says again to Timothy in this second letter, Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Preach the Word. Authentic worship makes Preaching the Word, the very central element of what we do when we gather before God. Authentic worship next builds up the body of Christ. It has a way of using the Word of God to strengthen Christians. To cause Christians who are new in the faith to to understand the basic doctrines of the Christian life and Christian faith and to to grow and to mature. It helps Christians who are mature to continue to grow and to continue to follow Christ. It helps the church to keep its focus on the right priorities, those that reflect the will of God. Let me tell you, worship is not merely stirring emotions. Though when the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God and there is a receptive, open heart that's hungry for the Word of God, it will touch your emotions. Nothing stirs me deeper than to see a biblical truth come to life. Come to light. And I began to connect with that. And, and, and that eternal truth suddenly becomes a reality to me. Folks, that stirs my feelings. But worship is not simply about having an emotional experience. We've lost our way. According to the Word of God, it's not about people coming in and saying, Boy, I want to have a good time. I I want to feel good. I hope you do feel good once you get your heart right with God and you align your life with the teachings of the Scripture, I hope you do feel good. But let me tell you something. If worship is true, authentic worship, based upon the preaching of the, of the biblical text, let me tell you something. There will be some experiences in worship where you're going to feel kind of low. When you know that your life and your thinking and your attitude and your priorities are out of alignment with the teachings of God's perfect Word, listen, you're going to be under conviction and you may be so distraught in your heart before God that you feel like you've got to go to the altar and you've got to kneel before God. You've got to make things right with God. Folks, give me that experience anytime over some pep rally experience in church because that's more authentic worship. Worship is not merely stirring emotions, but engaging the mind. You see, the sermon is not the end, it is the means. It's not just about coming into church and simply hearing me or any preacher preach the Word of God. It's about coming and letting the preaching of the Word of God move you towards God's goal for your life. God has a plan for all of our lives and He uses His Word to point us in that direction. He uses His Word to correct us when we get off course. And so it's the means towards the end. 
The preaching of the Word ought to stir you within your heart. It ought to stir a hunger in your heart, in your mind, to cause you to want to probe more, dig deeper, to investigate, to discover the wealth of eternal treasures that God's divine truth has for you. Every Sunday as you sit there and you begin to open up the Word of God and you hear the Word preached to you as God's children, it ought to be an experience where we feel like we're, we're on an adventure with the Lord. And worship is not about simply stirring your emotions so that you have some woozy, woozy little feeling, cozy feeling, and you go out of the church and go on with your life, irregardless of what God's will is it for it or not. God's people in worshiping true biblical worship, I believe. God's people in true biblical worship don't need to be sung to as much as they need to be singing themselves. When I have people sing to me, and I love the choir, and I love our special music, but I'll tell you what, give me an opportunity to join my voice with the voices of other believers who share my love and adoration for the Lord Jesus Christ, and let us hear one another singing praises to the Lord God Almighty. Listen, I don't care if you don't qualify to be a vocalist. I don't care. Listen, if you're singing from your heart and you're expressing from your heart your love and adoration for God and you're joining together with other believers, let me tell you, there's, there's an example of good, true, biblical worship. I had the occasion to go to a conference with my son last spring, a Together for the Gospel conference in Louisville, Tennessee, or Kentucky, wrong state. And I remember sitting there in that arena. And there was, what, about 8,000 other men, mostly, ministers. And there were one piano player, and the music for the worship consisted of that piano player with a microphone leading 8,000 servants of the Lord singing the old hymns of faith. And I'm going to tell you something. When we broke into singing songs like It Is Well With My Soul, let me tell you something. Or when, you, when I surveyed the wondrous cross, let me tell you something. When you can stand there and you're singing, participating, and the group is joining with you, you hear the voices of other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can sense the Spirit of God stirring. Listen, the, the focus of the group is not on the person on the stage. It's on the one who's sitting on the throne in heaven. He is the audience. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is true heart-stirring worship. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to participate in worshiping our God. Sit, simply sitting in a sanctuary and hearing a preacher preach at you, dear friends, is not authentic worship. I love to see church members come into the sanctuary, Bible open, a notepad by their side. I don't bother me when I'm preaching and I see you flipping pages because, you know, most of the times that means that brother or sister is cross-referencing. <laughs> I've, I've struck onto something there. The Spirit has talked to them. They're going to find some more. They're hungry. I've got, I've whetted their appetite. You won't, listen, I won't stop you from turning your pages as long as you're in the Bible. Make sure you're not in some novel or something. But anyway, but, but that's, listen. Worship is not sitting and, and passively listening to a message. It's 
walking in the Word of God, letting the Word of God speak to you, investigating the Word of God, and participating in God speaking. Listen, God puts a message on my heart, but I'm not the only one He wants to talk to. He wants to speak through me by His Word to you. And that Word comes alive. It comes alive. Believers are brought to adoration through the revelation of truth. We're not here to adore the speaker. There's nothing adorable about me anyway. I guess since the time I was a baby. But anyway, you shouldn't be sitting in, in, in this church or any church and marveling over, oh, what a wonderful speaker and orator. Oh, what. And no, you don't adore the speaker. That's not worship. You don't sit there and, and passively adore the spe- person singing special music or adore the choir because, they, listen, that's not worship. You don't sit there and adore the person playing the instruments. That's not worship. Worship is coming into the church house, into the sanctuary, humbly before the God who possesses the power to to, to stop your heart just like that. He is the one who provides every minute of your day, everything you need. He is the one who's provided salvation for your soul. Listen, if there's any adoring to be done, God is the one who needs to be adored. Everything we do ought to point towards the throne of Almighty God so that we find ourselves adoring Him. And out of that adoration comes worship. Authentic worship honors the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 28, he says, For our God... Well, let me back up verse 28. He says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. How do you see God? What does the God that you're worshiping today look like? Is He some adoring, benevolent, kindly old grandfatherly figure sitting up there and said, oh, there's my children worshiping me. Then I urge you to look at the next verse, verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. He's all-powerful. He's eternal. He's sovereign. He is, he is absolutely in control of everything. He is holy. His wrath burns, burns, ladies and gentlemen. Our God is a flaming fire, a consuming fire against sin because He's so holy. Let me tell you something. That ought to cause us to come before Him with fear and reverent trembling. To think, my goodness, to be in the very presence of this God, the one God, the true God, There's no room in authentic worship for arrogance. Check your egos at the door. The only way to come before God is to come humbly and reverently and realize that He controls all things. Authentic worship honors God. Authentic worship puts emphasis on the Lord and not on man. Oh my goodness, Sometimes worship almost looks like a glorified karaoke experience. Who can do outdo this person? Who's got the most talent? Who can who can dress the best? It's all about, hey, look at me. That's not worship. 
Worship is about exalting and lifting up God. Authentic worship puts the emphasis on the Lord. Remember in John chapter 3, when John the Baptist's disciples came to John? They were so used to John being the man. I mean, he had the popularity. He had the multitudes following him. He was preaching the fiery messages. He was baptizing more people than you could shake a stick at. And I'm paraphrasing at this point because they came to John and they said, you know, teacher, uh, this, this, this Jesus, he's baptizing more people than you are. What do we need to do? You know, competition's getting stiff. And John put him in their place right away. He put himself in his place right away. He says, did you forget what I told you? I'm not the Christ. He is. I am the forerunner. He's the Messiah. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. You know, one of the things that interferes with so many Christians worshiping God is pride. We can't see God because we're so consumed with ourselves. We can't come before Him in authentic worship because we can't get over ourselves. We're so important. We're so... And and the arrogance causes us to think that the world revolves around us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not worship. Worship is about diminishing ourselves in the true sense of humility and elevating God. And when we come before Him, we ought to bow before Him. The Apostle Paul over in Philippians chapter 3. Paul was talking about his pedigree, his resume. And he's talking about, boy, if anybody could be confident, he said, that would be me. But in verse 3 of chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul says, For we are the circumcisions who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, as far as fleshly things and worldly things, you know, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was so zealous as a Pharisee, I was persecuting the church. I was zealous for the law. I was keeping the law. I was a man. I was, I was a Jew and, and, and everything. I had tribal credentials and all of that. He says, oh, if anybody wanted to boast, I could boast because he is, as a Jew, he says, I've got one more impressive resume. But then Saul met Jesus. And when Jesus struck him to the ground blind on the road to Damascus, let me tell you something, I believe Jesus toppled him right on down off of that pillar of pride. And brought him down low. And put everything in perspective. Because listen to what Paul says in verse 7 of that same chapter, chapter 3 of Philippians. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ." Don't come into the sanctuary thinking, well, you know, I got such and such a job, and I got these degrees, and I got so much money, and I drive this kind of a car, and I live in this kind of a neighborhood, and, and you know, I dress with this type of a wardrobe and these branding. Oh, I'm somebody. Oh, listen, dear friend. All of that will get in your way. You need to look at it, all that stuff, all that, that prideful human stuff, like Paul looked at his stuff. 
And Paul says, you take all of my background, you take all of my credentials, you take all of my accomplishments, you take all of my prideful uh, uh, laurels, accolades. He says, you know what they are? In the economy of God, they're dung. He says, I'll give it all away that I might know Christ. Authentic worship puts emphasis on the Lord and not on the man. And finally, I want us to see worship elevated in its rightful place. You know, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 41, we're told an interesting story where Jesus went to visit with His dear friends, Lazarus and His two sisters, Martha and Mary. And you know, this is, I know a lot of people like this story because it gets you out of the kitchen. Jesus is visiting. He's a special guest. I mean, my goodness, it's a man that raised your brother Lazarus from the dead. You ought to say, fix him a special meal. And so Martha, you know, being the busybodies in the kitchen, pots and pans rattling, you know, china and silverware and everything, and fire here, fire there, you know. And she, and she looks and she sees her sister Mary, who's supposed to be helping her, sitting at the feet of Jesus, oblivious to all that Martha's doing back there in the kitchen, slaving to put on a good feast. And I guess Martha just reached her wits in. I mean, you should probably just bit a carrot right into Aunt Mary. So she goes in and, and, and confronts the Lord and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to get up and help me. I mean, that's a reasonable request. She's expecting Jesus to say, oh, Martha, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. Mary, what's the matter with you? Get in there with your sister. Shame on you. Jesus said to Martha, 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 when Jesus repeats your name, He's going to say something pretty important. Because He told Peter, you know, and Peter said He would deny it, you know, and Jesus said, Simon, Simon, mm, Satan's going to tempt you, boy. So back here to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. So worry warts, there you go. Take a note. Stop worrying. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. What was Mary doing? She's worshiping. She realized this is not just a man. This is not an ordinary guest. This is the Messiah. I want to drink in every word. Folks, that's what worship ought to be. It ought to be elevated to the point where the enlightened church makes it one of the essential activities. What a privilege it is to come into the sanctuary and sit at the feet of Jesus, be in His presence, look into His Word and hear Him speak to your heart. Oh, we ought to be more like Mary In John's Gospel, in chapter 4, and verse 24, you remember Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman and she was trying to throw him off track because he was getting real personal. He was telling her everything about her life. In fact, they told her how many husbands she had gone through and the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. So she said, Ooh, I think you're a prophet. (laughs) I'm going to talk about something else. So I'll talk about worship. You know how you Jews worship down in Jerusalem? We worship here on Mount Gerizim. And so therefore, you know, which one are you thinking? And Jesus says, time out, time out. God is spirit. There's coming a time. And he was talking about when he was going to be crucified, resurrected, and ascended in the Holy Spirit. He says, it's going to come a time when you're not going to be worshiping out of place. 
Worship is not going to be so much locale oriented. It's going to be about being in the presence of God. What did Jesus say? He says, because God is spirit, those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit. And in truth. Focused on the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, God is spirit. And the two key elements to worshiping God, His Word, His Spirit. And that's what we need to focus on. To have authentic worship experiences before God. It glorifies God. It edifies the church. It purifies the church. It strengthens the church. It's a witness to the world when a person comes in here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they walk into the midst of genuine biblical worship. Listen, it's going to do something. The Spirit of God may convict their heart to say, I want to know this God. So, I'll take you back to the two questions I began the sermon with. Am I truly worshiping God as His Holy Scriptures prescribe? Are you? Would you describe yourself as a biblical worshiper of God? And is the Lord pleased with and honored by the manner in which I worship Him? You know, my prayer for Cornerstone Baptist Church is that we will have a reputation. I don't mean about being one of them bad reputations. I'm talking about a good reputation. I'd like for the community to know that man... What those people do over there on Sunday, it's the real deal. It's not a show. They're not even interested in entertaining people. They're focused on engaging people with the Word of God to encounter the one true living God. I believe that's what makes a difference. I encourage you to examine your life. Examine your relationship with God. And pray, Lord, help me to be an authentic worshiper of You. Let's pray as we close the message. Heavenly Father, I know I don't do justice to Your perfect Word, but I truly feel that I have preached the message You have put on my heart for this church and then for our guests who are also members of other churches. Because Your heart's desire is that Your people, called by Your name, will humble ourselves and worship You. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for trading off the authentic qualities of worship for the entrapments of the world. Forgive us, Lord, for taking our eyes off of You and following trends and being more concerned about what other churches are doing and what's appealing to the secular crowd. Lord, we are the people of God. We serve the Holy God. Help us, Lord, to reflect Your holiness in our worship experience. And Lord, we want to thank You. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for setting us apart, sanctifying us. And thank You for calling us to worship You, to serve You, and to represent You in this world. So now, Lord, I pray that You continue to speak to the hearts of people. And Lord, I pray Your will be done in my life 
in the lives of the members of the church here or, or, or congregation here this, today and in this church. For your glory, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.